0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. Coming up,
1: the latest Biden bribe. With less than three weeks to the midterm election, the Biden administration's Department of Education on Monday contacted those with student loan debt letting them know that up to $20,000 of their loans would be erased. Well, today, President Biden announced he was releasing another 15 million barrels of oil from the Strategic Oil Reserve to lower gasoline prices. Today, I'm announcing three critical steps
2: that my administration will take to reduce gas prices at the pump. First, the Department of Energy will release another 15 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, extending our previously announced release through the month of December.
1: The release of yet another 15 million barrels to offset the administration's artificial barriers to the domestic production of oil, along with the production cuts of OPEC, OPEC, will put the strategic reserve at its lowest point in 40 years. Now, the question is, does this create a national security issue? We're going to talk about that. And speaking of national security issues, the Heritage Foundation released its 2023 Index of U.S. Military Strength, And for the first time ever, the U.S. military was given an overall rating of weak. Tennessee Congressman Mark Green, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, joins us to discuss these issues and more in just a moment. And as with most hurricanes, Ian has been replaced in the headlines as the media has moved on. But the recovery is still going on, and it will be for some time.
0: I'm excited about the progress. I understand that there's a lot of days ahead, but uh, the camaraderie and the teamwork and the, the unity has been fantastic. And I think that that's a testament to the folks
1: down here and the folks that have been working on this effort. That was Governor Ron DeSantis this morning. We'll actually get an update from Samaritan's Purse, whose teams are hard at work on the ground in the Sunshine State. We'll also talk to the former governor and current senator from the state of Florida, Rick Scott about the 12-point plan that he has put forward to rescue America. How good is it? It must be pretty good, because here's what President Biden had to say about it.
2: Senator Rick Scott of Florida, United States senator, who's leading the Republican National Senatorial Campaign Committee, released what he calls the ultra-MAGA agenda. It's a MAGA agenda, all right. Let me tell you about this ultra-MAGA agenda. It's extreme, as most MAGA things are.
1: So what kind of ultra-mega ideas are in this plan? Well, let's see. Educational choice, um, ending identity politics in America, stop coddling criminals, protecting the family and the unborn. Wow, those sound pretty extreme if you're on the left. We'll actually talk about the plan with Senator Rick Scott a little bit later here on Washington Watch. Speaking of elections, it's that time. In fact, uh, early voting's already started in many parts of the state. You need to know who's on the ballot and where they stand on the issues, and we want to help you do that. We have a voter guide. In fact, it's a personal, personalized voter guide. If you text the word guide, G-U-I-D-E, to 67742, 67742, the word guide, you'll get a link. Put in your address, and you'll get a personalized voter guide that'll tell you who's on the ballot and where they stand, whether they're liberal, conservative, wherever they stand, according to issues of faith, family, and freedom. So again, just text the word GUIDE to 67742. The word for today comes from Second Chronicles chapter 33, verses 10 through 13. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, and he took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty and heard this his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then, Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. You know, God's grace is truly amazing. Manasseh was the most wicked of all the kings of Judah, actively leading the people into idolatry and triggering God's judgment upon the nation. Yet, even Manasseh, when he hit bottom and cried out cried out to the Lord, he was delivered. No one, no matter what they've done, is beyond the forgiveness of God. To join us in our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org. With the midterms less than three weeks away, the Biden administration on Monday announced it was notifying 8 million student loan borrowers, telling them that they are being automatically considered for up to $20,000 in student debt cancellation. Well, today, as we mentioned, President Biden announced that he plans to release 15 million more barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Now, is it just me or doesn't this... LOOK LIKE A POLITICAL BRIBE? I MEAN, IT SURE LOOKS POLITICAL. OF COURSE, THE PRESIDENT DENIES THAT.
2: IT'S NOT POLITICALLY MOTIVATED AT ALL. IT'S MOTIVATED TO MAKE SURE THAT I CONTINUE TO PUSH ON WHAT I'VE BEEN PUSHING ON. AND THAT IS MAKING SURE THERE'S ENOUGH OIL THAT'S BEING PUMPED BY THE COMPANIES SO THAT WE HAVE THE ABILITY TO BE ABLE TO PRODUCE ENOUGH GAS THAT WE NEED HERE AT HOME, OIL WE NEED HERE AT HOME. AND AT THE SAME TIME, keep moving in the direction of providing for alternative energy. That's what I've been doing. Now, the problem is these guys are asleep. I don't know where they've been.
1: You know, it wasn't a problem before he came into office and began to push all of these policies, making it difficult to drill for oil and process. Hmm. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Mark Green. He's a member of the House Armed Services Committee, the House Foreign Affairs Committee the House Freedom Caucus, and the GOP Doctors Caucus. He represents the 7th Congressional District of Tennessee. Dr. Green, welcome back to the
3: program. Well, thanks for having me, Tony. I always enjoy being with you. Uh, Is
1: it fair to describe what President Biden is doing by tapping into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve right before the elections when his policies have driven up gas prices that this is a political bribe?
3: Absolutely. I mean, it, there, no, one, no one in their right mind or no one who's at least fair is is going to assume for a second that this is uh, in response to uh, the, the, the current crisis at the pump, right? I mean, it, this is clearly buying votes. It's just like the, the college uh, loan it thing. I mean, it, it's just buying votes. That's what it is. Um, and 15 million barrels is not going to make hardly a dent in the price of gas at the pump. But it will make a massive dent in what is already the lowest level that our strategic reserve has been in in at least four decades. My team has come up with at least four decades. So we're, we're basically sacrificing the security of the country so he can buy votes, And it's horrific. Uh, it's horrific.
1: Yeah, to to put this in perspective, from the standpoint of OPEC, they're cutting 2 million barrels per day. So we're talking about trawling out two weeks' worth of oil to offset OPEC uh, from the strategic reserves. But as you pointed out, everything I've seen suggests you're absolutely right. It's a four-decade low. Now, explain the purpose for the strategic petroleum reserve. Why is it there?
3: Yeah, we have a strategic... Petroleum reserve for uh, times of war and for serious weather events when when there's a compromise to the to the supply. Was, a great example was the Colonial Pipeline. You know when that stopped the flow. You know, that's the kind of that's the kind of times when the strategic oil reserve should be used. Um, and and this president's using it to win an election. So so. Those
1: factors considered, um, are we not living in a volatile time where we have war going on in in Europe? We've got China that is doing a lot of saber rattling. Um, is it possible that our military might be called upon in the near future where they would need uh, a steady supply of fuel?
3: Very clearly, the world situation is... Uh fraught with risk, mostly because of the weakness of this president. You know, the the withdrawal from Afghanistan uh, really solidified in Putin's mind that he could act. And how we respond to Putin is impacting now Xi Jinping. And you look, his comments uh, at the uh, Party Congress is probably the most bellicose he's ever been about Taiwan. He's made a promise he's going to do it in his lifetime. Um, his credibility at home is at stake. So it's, you know, to, to take our oil reserve down to the lowest it's been in four decades is the most, well, it's, it's probably the second most irresponsible national security decision this president's made. The first is the vaccine mandate, which is depleting the force. And they did it on the notion of readiness, but they have destroyed readiness with the vaccine mandate. It's, uh, it's just, I mean, everything that you would think you wouldn't do is what this president has done.
1: You could not be more intentional, I think, in tearing down our military and its I agree. Uh, it's yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that in a, in a moment because the Heritage Foundation has put out their annual index on the military, and uh, it, it's quite alarming. But I want to go back to your, your uh, comment on China because even the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, Uh, says that based on what he's seeing, he made this uh, this uh, comment on Monday at Stanford University. He said it looks as if the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, is uh, moving forward uh, to seize Taiwan on a a faster timetable. So even the administration acknowledges that there's a greater risk here, but there appears to be no planning for such an event to occur.
3: Well, there's a lot of things going on at the Pentagon to to prepare for it. Uh, there are there are plans in place. There are supply and resupply plans in place. The a big part of the Ukraine thing taught us we needed to build up certain uh, reserves of weapons, particularly javelins and and stingers, things like that. So we have in that 40 billion package that went to Ukraine that everybody talks about all of that going to Ukraine. Uh, that's not accurate. A big Part of it is to do just that: build the industrial supply up so we can produce more javelins and, and stingers and things like that. But 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 the readiness piece, you know, that you 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 mentioned, and I think I mentioned too, with the vaccine mandate, that that is, you know, they're basically ignoring it. Blinken's comment, though, is is almost self admission that it's their own weakness that's caused this, you know, increase in the timeline for Xi Jinping, because look, in two in two years, two years and some change, there'll be a different president and it'll be a Republican. And Xi knows he can't, he's not going to be able to get away with it then. So clearly they're the reason that the timeline is being uh, moved forward. And it's, it's just weakness. It's, so
1: you think that we could see something, a move by China in the next two years?
3: Look, I wouldn't put it past them. Off, their window will close with a Republican president. So they've got to know that.
1: Do you think this administration will respond if China makes a move on Taiwan?
3: Well, you have to give uh, the administration credit for its ambiguity because nobody knows what they're going to do. Right. I mean, Biden says, oh, we'll send troops and then they they walk that back. And so that certainly creates a, a degree of ambiguity because they themselves can't say the same thing and they keep correcting what they're saying so i, I mean who knows what what uh, the administration will do and i guess in a sense that 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 is a positive because the xi jinping doesn't know what they're going to do.
1: all right well on the other side of the break congressman we're going to talk about the readiness of the military and its weaknesses and how those can be corrected all right so folks Before. stick with us coming up we'll continue the conversation with congressman mark green a decorated combat veteran serves on the House Armed Services Committee. We'll discuss the status of our military, its readiness. We'll also talk about uh, the latest in Ukraine, and maybe we'll get to Iran. All that and more coming up next on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
0: Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word?
4: Learn more at frc.org forward slash life.
1: Welcome back. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website is TonyPerkins.com. And again, if uh, you've not yet gotten your personalized voter guide, you can do so. Simply text the word "guide." to 67742. You'll get a link. Follow the link. You put in your address and you will get a personalized voter guide. Again, that's the word guide to 67742. All right. Continuing the conversation with Congressman Mark Green. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He represents the 7th Congressional District of Tennessee. He is also a medical doctor. All right, uh, Doc, let's talk military readiness. You serve on the House Armed Services Committee. You're talking about the vaccine mandate and how that's uh, messing up uh, both uh, our retention as we're driving healthy people out of the military. And the Army's missing its recruiting goal, which I think is connected. They missed it by about 15,000 soldiers this year. The Heritage Foundation recently gave our military its first ever assessment as weak. Do you think that's accurate? And if so, how worried should we be about a weakened military?
3: I don't want to use the word weak uh, myself, uh, Tony. I I think we still have a very capable force, but it's just, you know, the question of whether or not it can contend with the threats that are out there is a good, it's, it's good to question that. Uh, when you think of an army that has 50, had expected to be 15,000 stronger than it is, when you think about 62,000 guardsmen who can't deploy because of the vaccine mandate, you add that together, just those two sources alone attrit the force, 77,000 people. And that is uh, horrific to, to think of a military that, 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 you know, was expecting to have 70,000 Seventy-seven thousand people in the ranks, and now doesn't. I mean, readiness has clearly been significantly impacted by this vaccine mandate, and we all know that this age group, very minimal effect on them. I mean, there are the isolated persons who, who have a, a negative outcome, and that's horrible. But the readiness of the force is far more drastically impacted by the mandate. So but
1: let me ask you about that, uh, Dr. Green, because we, we now have more information. You know, we're two years out from this event. And we, we, it, even, you know, there's now admissions by Pfizer that it does not, the, the, the vaccine does not stop the spread of the virus. Uh, I mean, there's some contention over that. But as you said, this age group, was not disproportionately in any form or fashion hurt by this uh, this this virus. So why are we doing this? Can't we rethink this? Hey, wait a minute. All right. So we thought based upon what we had before, this was a good idea. But now, based on what we know, it's not a good idea. So we're pulling back.
3: Yeah, it's it's a terrible idea. OK, it is decimating the force. Can we pull back? Of course we could. We could very easily—and we've sent multiple letters to the administration saying, stop the mandate, uh, reinstate those who have been uh, discharged. Uh, Fortunately, and thank God for this, the Democrats agreed to let my amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act go through that allowed for at least an honorable discharge. They were really seriously considering dishonorable discharges for these individuals who'd served the nation, who'd fought close to retirement they're kicking them out um, just unbelievable that they would even think that but look they they cancel people over what they think and say so I guess we should expect it from this bunch but um, very clearly it, it makes no sense it can be reversed and it should be reversed immediately.
1: I'm going to go back to uh, the state of our nation's military because in the Heritage Foundation report they break it down by service. Uh, Army, they rate them as, as marginal in terms of their uh, strength and preparation, their readiness. The U.S. Army is aging faster than it is modernizing, uh, receiving an overall marginal rating. Uh, the Navy, they rate as weak They say because they're declining uh, from actually a marginal rating in 22, um, pointing out the fact that our competitors are quickly narrowing the technology gap Uh, Then we have the Marine Corps actually strong, saying they've actually compromised some of their size for quality and updating their equipment material. The Air Force very weak uh, because of uh, aircraft, aging aircraft and poor pilot training and retention continues to downgrade the ability of the Air Force. Does that sound like it's somewhat on track?
3: Well, it certainly matches the level of wokeness and the length of time that the organizations have been woke because the Air Force was is the most woke and it's been the most woke for the longest. So are you, perhaps, saying
1: there's, are you saying there's a trade-off then as we pursue, and this is what the Secretary of the Army said is not happening, that we're not compromising training and readiness for what she says, I can't define it because I don't really don't know what it is, but we're not being woke.
3: Look, they... There was a, a study done of the United States Navy by a retired three-star admiral and and they, they looked at this. This was shortly after the crashes at sea, where two you know ships ran into one another, and they they concluded that there was far too much training on woke stuff. And look, if you if if it's about diversity over and, and you make the decision. That you're going to hire somebody simply because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity, and you and not competence, you're immediately sacrificing competence of the military for something else. Now, granted, I, I I'm all for uh, doing everything we can to advance a diverse force, but but we have to have the very best military, and you can't make the decision at the cost of the other. You you have to do your best to ensure that people are made capable for the job. And, right. and so that's what diversity should be, is empowering everyone to be successful. But they're making decisions where they sacrifice competence um, for filling quotas, and, and it, is, it is harming them, it is harming the force. But
1: you can only have one top priority, and the military's yeah, you know, priority should be to fight and win America's war. So we need to be exactly, prepared for
3: that. That's exactly right.
1: And in all of these other things, they may have merit, as you've pointed out, but they should be secondary in their focus. And I don't think that's what's happening.
3: Yeah. And it's honestly, it's, you know, look, if you if you select, I love Martin Luther King for for what he said. It should be character. it not not the color of our skin. And right. I just spent all day yesterday with Alvita King, uh, right. who came to, to, to campaign for me in my district. Um, and it's it, and she says the same thing. Right, critical race theory is racist. Yeah, because it, it basically divides us and tells us to hate one another. Right. How, how do you run a military when you're telling the members of the military that America's horrible? Right. go defend this terrible, racist country. Excellent point. Excellent
1: point. I hope the Republicans can uh, help change that after the next election. All right, Congressman, we're out of time. Always great to see you. Thanks for Thanks being with mind. us today. All right, folks, stick away. Stick with us. We're coming right back after this. Good to have you with us on this Wednesday. The website's TonyPerkins.com. Again, uh, get your voter guide, your personalized voter guide, no matter where you live in the country. Just text the word GUIDE to 67742, 67742, the word GUIDE, and you'll get a link. Follow the link, put in your address, and there it is. You get your own personalized voter guide. All right, it was three weeks ago that Hurricane Ian made landfall in Florida as a Category 4 storm, among the most powerful to ever hit the state. It destroyed homes and businesses while also claiming more than 100 lives. Now, in response, as they always do, and I've watched them many times, worked alongside them, Samaritan's Spurs quickly sprang into action with volunteer teams working with local churches to help those in need, not only physically but spiritually as well. Joining me now to discuss the latest from on the ground in Florida, actually in Fort Myers, is Jason Kimmack. He is the senior director of North American Ministries for Samaritan's Purse. Jason, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, Tony. Thanks for having me. Uh, first off, again, I just want to thank you and uh, all of the team there at Samaritan's Purse for the great work that you guys do every time there's a crisis here in the country. Uh, what are you? What are things like there three weeks after the storm? made landfall? What What are things looking like?
6: Well, uh, three weeks later, there's still a lot of destruction around here. A um, lot of uh, people still just digging out of their homes and getting uh, all their belongings for those who are flooded. They're getting them out to the road uh, to hopefully have those removed. Uh, still a lot of debris down and uh, still a lot of roofs that need to be tarped as well.
1: So uh, how—I know you guys always come in, you partner with a local church. How, how do you see the local churches responding there? Are they, are they in a position to be able to respond and help?
6: We are getting a great response. Uh, a lot of local churches are uh, checking in to see how they can help, but we're here with a local church here in Fort Myers and in Englewood and uh, in Punta Gorda, and uh, we're getting a, a great amount of volunteers who want to come out. They want to be the hands and feet of Jesus and uh, the opportunity to help people uh, physically, but they also know uh, that we're here for the spiritual side as well. We want uh, these uh, families and homeowners to know um, that Jesus loves them, that He hasn't forgotten
1: them. So, uh, Jason, what's the biggest need um, for those that are still suffering right now? I I, I guess you probably have finished, or you're in the process of, of doing the cleanup and starting the uh, helping people put pieces back together. What's the what are the greatest needs right now?
6: Yeah, there's still a great need just to help people clean up their their houses. We've had over 4,800 requests from people uh, to help us do that, and that's uh, removing debris, it's mudding out their home, uh, and it's also just helping tarp uh, roofs so that they can you know begin the process of getting back to their to their home. So there's a huge need um, as we get into some neighborhoods. Uh, we'll, we'll be the first to help with a couple things. And then all of a sudden we have several neighbors who need help as well. So right, right. there's still a great need for, for the help and uh, the need for volunteers as well.
1: So is, is that then Jason, the greatest need Samaritan's Purse has right now, more volunteers to, uh, to volunteer, come down and spend some time working alongside Samaritan's Purse.
6: Yes. We'd love to have more volunteers. You can go to our website, Samaritan'sPurse.org, and, uh, and find out how you can, uh, can sign up to come and volunteer.
1: So you can uh, you can volunteer if you can't go, but you can also uh, you also financially can support Samaritan's Purse. That's at the website uh, as well. Um, what's the, kind of the frame of mind? I mean, I know we've been through these so often. Uh, unfortunately, you know, people feel like they're cut off, they're isolated. Is there a sense that they're the, the from the folks on the ground down there that? that people are helping standing with them and are they in, are they encouraged by that or is there a lot of discouragement right now?
6: There's a little bit of both. There's, a, there's great encouragement. Uh, every time we come to a family and begin to help them, they see that there is some light at the end of the tunnel, that there is hope. Um, for some, I was talking with a lady today where, you know, the rush of the first couple of weeks is over and it's starting to set in of how hard this is um you know three weeks later and uh but that's why we're here we're here to again be the hands and feet of jesus but to to share uh the hope uh we have our chaplains from the billy graham evangelistic associations here and uh they're coming alongside these families and they're praying with them um they're loving on them they're listening to them uh but they're also sharing the most important thing is that's the spiritual need uh, that's that God loves them and that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and that God raised him from the dead and that they can have a relationship with God and eternal life uh, through Jesus Christ by putting their faith in him. And so uh, we're here for that spiritual need as well. And so we're sharing that good news of the gospel alongside uh, helping with them uh, physically as well.
1: Yes. And this is one of those times where people are questioning so many things in life and that spiritual Openness is uh, is quite prevalent in many of these cases. It's a great opportunity to share the love of Jesus, both in word and uh, in deed. Jason, great to have you on the program today. And I, I know Todd Taylor's down there. Uh, be sure and tell him I said hello.
6: I will do that. He said to tell you hello as well.
1: All right. Appreciate the work you guys do. Good to see you. Thank you. And folks, I, I would encourage you to support ministries like Samaritan's Purse. There are others, faith based, uh, Christian, that share the gospel when they go. I just know Samaritan's Purse. I know the North American uh, Home Mission Board with uh, Southern Baptists do the same, Uh, but I've worked alongside Samaritan's Purse many, many times, and they are very, very faithful, and they're so efficient. Volunteer if you can. If you go down and spend a week with them, you'll not regret it. Your time will be well organized, and you'll make a tremendous impact in the lives of, of those that you serve. If you can't, consider a financial contribution. Our family supports Samaritan's Purse. They do uh, They do great work. All right, don't go away. On the other side of the break, we're gonna be talking with a senator from Florida. So we're going back to Florida to talk to Senator Rick Scott. He is also the chairman of the Republican Senatorial Committee and has a 12-point plan to rescue
5: America. we talk about it next. What is biblical masculinity?
4: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, to get your personalized voter guide, text the word guide to 67742. That's the word guide to 67742. You'll get a link. Follow the link, put in your address, and within seconds, you will have your own personalized voter guide with ratings of the candidates. Conservative, moderate, liberal, you'll know it. So text the word guide to 67742. All right, with these midterm elections imminent, we've seen the desperation from President Biden to the Democrats. I mean, their plan is to push taxpayer-funded abortion up until the moment of birth— that's what the president said yesterday. That's his number one priority if they retain Congress. That should tell you something. They want to bribe voters with free stuff paid for by you, the taxpayer, and they want to gaslight you with claims the economy is, oh, it's not as bad as you think. Could be worse. You know, House Republicans have offered an alternative with their commitment to America. And on the Senate side, Republican Senator Rick Scott, who's the chairman of the Republican, study, uh, the Republican Senate Committee, has offered a 12-point plan of his own, with an emphasis on education, the economy, protecting religious freedom, and strengthening the family. Well, what else should you know about this plan? Well, this is what President Biden thinks. Senator Rick Scott of Florida, United States
2: senator, who's leading the Republican National Senatorial Campaign Committee, released what he calls the ultra-MAGA agenda. It's a MAGA agenda, all right. Let me tell you about this ultra MAGA agenda. It's extreme, as most MAGA things are.
1: Well, that tells me all I need to know. It must be good. Protecting the family, the sanctity of life, religious freedom. Yes, that's extreme to the left. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Senator Rick Scott of Florida. He serves on the Senate Homeland Security Committee, the Senate Armed Services Committee, the Senate Budget Committee, Senate Committee on Commerce, Science and Transportation, and he formerly served as governor of the state of Florida. Senator Scott, welcome to Washington Watch. You
8: know, that's, that was a great clip, but you know, there's another clip where he said I was from Wisconsin.
1: <laughs> I, I, remember, I saw that one. I, I said somebody needs to uh, to help him out, uh, but I don't think we can um, before we discuss uh, the plan, we just received an update from Samaritan's Purse on the progress in Florida. And I know you've been very involved in that because you you had a history of dealing with those hurricanes when you were governor. Uh, what's the latest you've been seeing? Well,
8: first of all, I want to thank Samaritan Purse. You know, I had four hurricanes when I was governor and they showed up. Uh, they showed up and they helped people. Um, and, um, I mean, it's just, it's such, it's so rewarding when you see people that just show up from all over the country and help other people. And that's, that's what Samaritan First does. So I, I wanna thank everybody at Samaritan First for what they're doing. The, um, it's tough. Um, when I was governor, we had four hurricanes and the, the most important thing was keep everybody alive. And unfortunately in this hurricane, we've lost over a hundred people. And you know, I always said to everybody, um, that you can, you know, you can rebuild your house. You just can't be rebuild your life. So my heart goes out to every one of those individuals that lost their lives and their families. Um, and I will do everything I can to be helpful to them. There's a lot of people that lost their businesses. They lost their homes. Uh, they've got a lot of damage in their homes. It's It was a devastating storm um, and it's hurt a lot of people. But the nice thing about Florida is that we're, we work together. We, uh, you know, work with other people. So I'm just trying to make sure our federal government does their part FEMA, the SBA, the Department of Agriculture, all have a role uh, in this, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure the federal government does its job to make to make sure we get our state back to work as quickly as possible.
1: Well, Senator, I want to use this as a jumping-off point <laughs> into the 12-point plan because uh, number 10 uh, in your plan is this: it says Americans will be free to welcome God into all aspects of our lives. And we will stop all government efforts to deny our religious freedom and our freedom of speech. And I, I don't want to start there because as you were just pointing to the great work that Samaritan's Purse does, um, I've worked with them many times in Louisiana, and the, they are motivated by their faith. And, and people mm-hmm. of faith are, are, are motivated to do things that government never can do. And certainly when it tries, it doesn't do it effectively. But when we are attacking religious freedom and the ability of people to live by their faith, we're, we're taking that element of community out of our society.
8: You know, on top of Samaritan First, there's, there's churches that have shown up from all over the country. Uh, and there's churches down here that have had, you know, some of their members have lost their homes. Uh, I've visited churches. I've visited, visited some synagogues in the last two weeks. That are doing an unbelievable job, and there's and you know there's there's all sorts of groups that have come down here, and you know what they give? They not only give you food, they give you water, they'll give you maybe a tent if you're out of a house, things like that. They give you hope. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing they can do is is show that there's a path forward, and I think and I hope what it does is bring people back uh, to Christ, uh, and you know it gives it gives people an opportunity to talk about their faith. And why they do this, uh, but I'm I am so fed up with government that tries to get you know God out of our whole life. They don't want God involved. They don't believe in God, unfortunately, to so many people. Uh, and they want it out of everything. They want it out of our schools. They want it out of our businesses. They want it out of anything to do with our society. And think about it: the family and God built this country. That's what that's what built this country. I mean, we're we're here by the grace of God. And our family structure is the best organization structure in yeah. in the world. There's nothing better.
1: And you you, you take on, in this 12-point plan, which is quite impressive, because one of the first things you take on is the issue of, of education, that parents should have the right. And this is a hot-button issue right now. When we see this, uh, I, this uh, indoctrination that's taking place in our public school classrooms, you say that parents, not governments, will choose the best schools for their children.
8: It's your kid, right? It's pretty simple. This is your child. You brought this child into the world. You are the one that has the opportunity to educate this child. You should be able, with your own tax dollars, these are your tax dollars, There's not government dollars. You pay these taxes, you should be able to say, I want my child to go to this school. They could go to a Catholic school. They could go to a Episcopal school. They could go to a non-denominational school. The charter school, whatever, but you should have that right. Not the government. They don't they should be able to tell you where your where your child's gonna go. And guess what? When you get involved in your child's education, your child does better in school. We know that. As parents, more parental involvement. That's why a lot of these charter schools, a lot of these peripheral schools, I mean, they mandate the parents are involved because they know the child will do better.
1: This is an issue that crosses partisan lines. This is this is a parental issue. I don't care what your party affiliation is. Most parents want their children to succeed and they understand that education is a key part of that.
8: You know, you know uh, we we do a lot of polls at this chair of the National Republican Central Committee. Here's what people are going to be shocked about. I've won the Hispanic vote uh, in in all my races as governor in, in the Senate. We're going to win Hispanic votes around the country. Hispanics are fed up. They're fed up with the public school system. They know that the public school system is, is failing their child. They came here to live the dream. They came here to live the dream of this country. They know that the dream of this country starts with a good education. So they, they I think people are, I think a lot of people are going to be shocked at how many Hispanics vote Republicans because they know that they the Republicans are going to make sure they get a better opportunity for their child's education. It's an unbelievable issue for parents.
1: I, I don't want to get too far off of the 12 point plan, but when everyone was running saying the Republicans didn't have a chance to take back the Senate, you said, no, we're going to get f- at least 52 seats. Do you still see it that way?
8: Oh, I think we're going to get 52 plus. Um, you, you can see there's no energy for the Biden agenda. There's none. I mean, look at the early voting that's heading our direction. Uh, so there's no energy for the Biden agenda. And these Democrats are trying to run as Republicans. Uh, that are in, that have been in office and voted for all these horrible things, voted for abortion up until the moment of birth. I mean, who, who doesn't want children to be brought into this world? We all do. We love kids. I mean, we. So the Democrats have voted to bring to abortion up until the moment of birth, and then a baby born alive, they think you can just put them in the closet and let them die. I mean, this is a. Amer- these are human beings thinking this way and voting this way. But they all are running away from that. When Joe Biden talks about his abortion plan, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, I want it up until the moment of birth. And you don't have to keep a baby alive. And every American, you're going to start paying for everybody else's abortion. Well, so there, there this, are I mean, disgusting.
1: There are some Democrats that still are are fixated on this issue and are communicating in such a way that it's astounding. I want to play this clip. This is of uh, Stacey Abrams today. Uh, this was this morning on MSNBC. Play clip number 12. What could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with?
4: But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs.
1: I mean, admitting we just need to avoid, abort children, then gas won't be a problem. You
8: know, in my uh, in my debate in my race for governor in 2010, they went. They asked my opponent and me, "Do we have any regrets?" My opponent said she had no regrets, and I said, "If I if I had not known I was I was that I would be able to afford more kids, I would have had more kids. I love kids. Who doesn't want Who doesn't want to bring great babies in this world and have an opportunity to help raise them? I mean, we all do. I love my children, my grandchildren. I just I don't get this this idea that the people peop, I don't know people that. That, that want to get rid of children. I mean, think of how many people want to adopt right now. Right. I mean, it's just, it's disgusting. These Democrats act like we don't want children. I love children. We all do.
1: Yeah, we, we, we should. I have five. I wish I had more. I, if I'd have started earlier, I would. All right, back to the plan, 12 point plan. Number two is, is it basically attacking what I think is at the core of the Democratic Party, the left, the Marxist agenda, this uh, identity politics.
8: I mean, Tony, why would why should government ever ask anybody about their skin color or their race? They shouldn't. We're supposed to be judged by our character, how hard we work, things like that. Why don't we judge everybody by those types of things rather than their skin color? And by the way, people don't vote because, oh, they say I have a different skin color. So I vote I have to vote different than you. The Democrats want you to believe that. But that's not really true. I remember I was at a I, my wife and I went to a new Mexican restaurant in uh, Naples, Florida, where I live uh, last week. And my waiter was originally from Mexico. He's a U.S. citizen. He says, "I can't wait for Republicans to get back in office because I'll I'll make more money." That's what was important to him. He he doesn't want us he doesn't want to have problems financially. And guess what? He's excited. He's looking forward to being married and having kids. We we, we talked about what was important to him. And It's the same thing that's important to you. You want to be able to survive financially. You want your kids good, good education, and you want to live in a safe community. That's, that's right. what people care about. You you want to, to be able,
1: you want to be able to gas up your car without being hijacked, yeah. and and that's actually number three in the plan. Is this this coddling of criminals and the defunding of police has to has to stop.
8: I mean, who doesn't want the police to show up if somebody's trying to harm them? I'm I'm very appreciative of law enforcement. We, When I left as governor, we were a 47-year low on our crime rate. I still talk to sheriffs and police chiefs all the time uh, because I know they care. They care about what's going on in their communities. And so this idea that the police are the bad guys and criminals are the good guys, I mean, the Democrats are crazy. I mean, look at what's happened with crime in this country because the Democrats' position that, oh, you know, remember how they were burning the buildings in Portland? That was a mostly peaceful protest. no. They were hurting people, hurting. they were destroying property. That's wrong. And that's what we teach our kids. Why would the Democrats be teaching their children something different? The police are the good guys, criminals are the bad guys, and if you don't want to prosecute, if you're a state attorney, you don't want to prosecute the criminals, you should get fired. You shouldn't be doing that.
1: Well, and that's why I think the voters ought to be firing this administration because they are not... Uh, They're not going after the criminals, those people who were were torturing, burning cities. And then what we've seen since May, where we've had over 100 pro-life pregnancy centers and churches that have been vandalized. We've not seen the first arrest from the Biden administration Department of Justice.
8: I don't I don't get it. I mean, you don't raise your kids who I don't know people that raise their kids to say, oh, you know, you 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 want to live in a bad neighborhood where there's a lot of crime. You don't build businesses there. You don't want to live there. I want to live in safe places. I want my grandkids to live in safe places. We all do. And so we need to respect our law enforcement. It's a tough job. They show up even when somebody's not nice to them. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm, we need to fund them. We need to fund them properly. We need to respect them. Uh, we need to support them. We need to do everything we can to make sure we have great law enforcement around the country.
1: All right, Senator, we're going to run out of time. and There's a lot more uh, economic growth, free fair elections, immigration, cutting taxes, growing the economy, um, all good stuff and, and folks you can you can read this, go to Tony Perkins.com and you can follow the links over. But Senator, I got to ask you this question, how do we see this become policy?
8: Well what you have to do is we have to get a majority in the House and the Senate uh, and then we've got to go we got to vote on these things. We've got to, you know, what you have to do is you need to make sure you are calling your house member and your senator and say the parts of the plan. Whether it doesn't bother me if somebody likes all of them, but the parts you like, you should say, "I want that to become law." I'm, I'm, you know, are you going to do it when they run for office? Say, "Hey, are you going to do that?" I want to know. I'm hiring you to represent me, and then, and then once they, they they tell you once they get in, say, "Okay, what are you doing? Are you getting it done?" It's no Tony. Here's the way I think about it: We should be hiring, electing people that we would hire. When you hire people, you say, what are you going to do? All right. And if you're not going to do it, you shouldn't be there. It's real simple.
1: Well, Senator, we're out of time, but would love to continue the conversation. I think it's a great plan. And I'd like to talk more about how we make it reality, because I think it's exactly what America needs and what our folks want. So thanks for joining us.
8: Thanks, Tony. Have a good day.
1: Senator Rick Scott of uh, Florida. All right. To find out more about the plan, go to TonyPerkins.com. You can follow the links over. Also, uh, you know, shoot him a note. Uh, he, he's really taking a lot of heat for this, for stepping up and putting this plan out there, even from some in his own party. Now, look, I think we ought to tell voters what we're going to do, and I, I appreciate those that are stepping forward with a, uh, with a solid, well-thought-out plan. All right. We're out of time, folks good to have you with us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says you've done everything you can do when you've prayed, prepared, taken your stand. By all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action,